I'm Matt Godbolt. And I'm Ben Rady. And this is Two's Compliment, a programming podcast. Hey Ben. Hi Matt. How are things? Good. Good. I've been thinking a bit about the tooling that we use. Um, and you and I both work in Unix environments predominantly, or Linux specifically in my case, mm-hmm. and you know, Mac, yeah. Aussie type things. And there's an awful lot of tool crafts that we've picked up, both you and I, mm-hmm. over the years. And with certain people we've worked with in uh, various companies have been even better at this. I remember pairing with somebody particularly and learning a whole ton of stuff about it. Mm-hmm. I figured we should talk a bit about the kinds of things that we can do and have done and use the tooling for in the Unix shell because mm-hmm. I'm always surprised when I, I, I meet somebody who goes, how did you just do that thing? And I'm like, oh, it's just shell. So Right, right. Let's start yeah, there. I think that's a great idea. I guess what is your top X, where X is as, as many minutes as we can do, oh, man. Unix command line tools. The one that come, immediately comes to mind for me is using sort and unique. I was just going to say the same thing. Get out. Yep. It's like the flathead screwdriver of of Unix tools, right? It's it's the thing that you use for everything when you don't know how to use anything else. <laughs> right. I mean, I've got a big list of things, and I just want to get a sense mm-hmm. of the data, right? I've got log lines, and I'm like, well, how how often is this thing happening, or how many how often are type things of this type happening? So you you might chuck in a mm-hmm. a grep oe dash oe you know to say only output the bit that i'm going to tell you in my little regular expression mm-hmm. and then you pipe it through sort mm-hmm. and then you pipe it through mm-hmm. unique dash c usually and i guess yeah. we should explain what all of those things are and why but you end up with like a, a little list of hey there are exactly 50 instances of this string right. 48 of this string 10 of this and then three of those and you're like that's exactly yeah. what i needed yeah. to know about this log so i'm i'm glad that we picked the same one there that's a that's a that's a good sign <laughs> yeah it's a good tell yeah, you sort of like use that to make like a little histogram. I guess it's also kind of like a group by, isn't that what that is in a way? I suppose, yeah, it is a group by. It's very much like a group by, isn't it? Because you're saying yeah. aggregate on this key and then say how many of them there are. It's like, you know, yeah. order by blah, sorry, group by blah, count, count. star. Yeah. So in the pipeline I just described, the, the grep thing takes an input. And it'll find just a, a snippet that you're interested in. Now, if your files are, you just want to find the unique types, counts of the lines of a file, the different contents of lines of a file, you don't need the grep part. But then you mm-hmm. sort them to get them so that the exactly the same lines are one after each other. Uh, so if, you're, if your input is A, B, C, A, mm-hmm. line, each line, then you're going to end up with A, A, B, C. Right. And you're really only doing that to get the unique dash c to work that's right right. yeah that's a very good way of putting it yes yeah i i kind of wanted it because it's not like you want it sorted particularly right in fact you may resort it at the end which is what commonly one might do (laughs) so you're getting it so that the the unique which is the unique is designed to drop uh subsequent or rather what's the word i'm looking for not subsequent um drop equivalent repeated lines of a file that's what it's designed for Mm -hmm. but it can also say how many duplicates it encountered as it as it went through so when you're piping a a b c through it it sees the first a goes that's great that's i've only ever seen a before then it sees the same line again it goes oh well i'm not going to output that line but i'm going to count it and then it sees Mm -hmm. b and goes oh okay that's the end of the a's i will never see another a because it it presumes that the inputs are 
uh, or mm-hmm. this is what its function is. I shouldn't say it's presuming anything. It's not presuming anything. It's just, just what it does. So then print out, hey, I saw two A's. Then it'll say, I print one B and then one C and you're done. And that's wonderful, right? And so you get a count of each of the individual inputs to mm-hmm. uh, unique lines, I should say, not input. Now, of course, yeah. the result of yeah. that is a big list of like, hey, I saw A once, or sorry, I saw A twice, I saw B once and I saw C once. And that's great. And then in the example I just made up on the spot, they are in a useful order potentially, right? Because it's like, hey, I want the most yeah. common. But often I want to say, no, just give me the top 10 right. of those. And so just like in you SQL. Like thousands of categories, but you want to know what the most frequent one is. Right. You know, you, you exactly like in SQL, if you don't give it a sort yeah. key afterwards, then the, the, the sort inside your pipeline hip is not sorting it usefully it's just mm-hmm. an in- implementation detail of the way your your group by is working mm-hmm. but then you want right. to sort by dash uh, n to say sorry sort dash n which means sort numerically which means it's going to interpret the first part as a number and then you can pipe it through say less and what we've done mm-hmm. then is uh, or, mm-hmm. or or head minus 10 to say just show me the first 10 of those and so in in, mm-hmm. in what we've got grep sort unique Another sort, less. Five Unix commands, one after mm-hmm. another, and we've written a SQL query for all intents and purposes on yeah, a line-based text file. <laughs> right. So when you're like, hey, uh, I noticed we've got some user login rejections. Does that – how often does that happen? It's like, oh, we got 100,000 of those today. Oh, wow. Is that a lot or does that happen every day? Then you need to go use these tools to sort of figure out if that's true. Right. Of course, it's no – substitute to actually having like metrics in your application that do it but like we all have been up against the gun trying to make these kind of like what the heck's going on with my system and we are again joined by guest guest puppy in the background i apologize Mm -hmm. for the noise oh he's always welcome he's adorable yeah it gets away with Um, right but yes you were you were making a point about something technical uh yeah well yeah we were talking we were like like you said you know this these are the things that you do like we talked about structured logging and observability in another episode. And like if you know – if you have some inkling ahead of time of the things that you want, although you know I can make some arguments for structured logging that would say like anything that you write to a unstructured log file, you can write to a structured log and it will be strictly better. But not every system has this kind of logging in place. Sometimes you know you start out with something and you, you don't necessarily know what you want your structure to be or whatever it might be. So you have these things. And being able to do this is just super useful. Plus, like the logs that you're reading aren't necessarily yours, right? Right. Like sometimes they're operating system logs or other other software's logs that you're doing this it's to. And, and for those situations, log it's, file yeah, that I exactly. just happen to be right. on the box. Right. Uh huh. Right. So you, you need to have these. I feel like you need to have these skills no matter what. And of course, the next one that you want with that chain of that pipeline that you're talking about is awk, right? Because it's like, oh, the thing that I want is this particular column, right? Right. And awk is like a whole programming language, but but mostly the, the thing with it's used for print dollar for print. Three. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yep. yep. Although I will make an argument for another tool. Where you you talk about awk first. Uh, well, I was going to say there are other tools, and I think I, I'm going to. I was going to say the one that I use for this is also cut. Cut that, yeah, yeah. That's where I was is, going. Yep. Cut is a little yep. bit easier than specifying dollar uh, three if you have mm-hmm. a very clear non-space based uh, delimiter. So, yes. for example, yes, if you know that your you know your JVM dump or whatever has oh it's between the second colon and then the third colon in some list of like class path or whatever, then you can like yeah cut. Mm-hmm dash d colon which means use colons as the delimiter and then you can pick mm-hmm, you know three mm-hmm. as the third thing and that's that's another super way of just 
filtering the bit of the data that you want. But Orc is a full programming language. Yeah, yeah. And you can and I I honestly feel bad for not having used Orc for more than just print dollar whatever. There's a few things I think I've used it for, but I always have to google those things. I use it to sum up a numeric category uh, column. That's another mm-hmm. thing that I can do. And also average. It's quite easy to write. Although, again, yeah, there's a little bit of stack overflow used here. But if there's mm-hmm. something where it's mm-hmm. columnar and I just need to go over something with a relatively straightforward thing, I can just use orc out of the gate to do that kind of thing. Or a running mm-hmm. total or stuff like that. It, again, it's relatively straightforward. But that's the only bits I can remember is like begin, something magical, mm-hmm. end, something magical, and then the, the line itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course, if you do have the benefit of a structured log, you may have written your structured log using JSON, because a lot of people do that, in which case you're probably going to want to use another command line tool called JQ, which is an amazing tool, not just for uh, dealing with structured logs, but dealing with any sort of JSON data. If you're interacting with a web service, one of my favorite tricks to do is to take uh, you know, I've got some web service I'm trying to explore the API, and I've got the documentation there maybe, and I want to see if the documentation's right, or I want to see what the actual underlying data is. And so what I'll do is I'll I'll put together a little Bash script that uh, curls that that API, and then uh, pipes it into JQ, and then I'll run that whole thing in another command called watch, which is another something that we've talked about, where they'll just run it every couple of seconds, right? And now I have like a constantly refreshing view of what that what that JSON object looks like. And I can start modifying the JQ expression to select into particular elements and explore the whole tree of the resulting JSON object. Uh, in a very interactive and fast way, right? right? So you sort of can walk over the whole tree and like, ooh, this value is interesting and this whole array of things is cool and, you know, ooh, we're going to need that value and this doesn't match up with the documentation. Um, And, you know, in just a matter of a few minutes, you can sort of see everything that there is to see about an API in a very interactive way. So those those tools together, I am a huge fan of. But JQ in general is pretty fantastic. JQ is amazing. I think JQ is the first of the commands that we've mentioned so far that isn't sort of... uh, like a BSD staple, right? Everything yeah, else yeah. is part mm-hmm. of the Unixy environment. Yeah, Unix or uh, Orc, I think we've said cut. They're mm-hmm. all like, you've almost certainly got them on your machine already. Just just type yep. it in whatever. You don't need a pseudo Apton sort of thing. JQ is 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 a, a, a separate process. Mm-hmm. I think you can probably get it from most um, applications. I think I installed it on my, my Debian thing here. But would, it's yeah, a single static guess, binary. You just grab right. it and chuck it in your bin That's directory. another fantastic thing about it, right? Like you said. Um, I think on I would be a little surprised if on most newer Linux distributions you didn't get JQ out of the box, but I could be wrong. About I'm that. I'm pretty sure it needs to be installed. It's certainly it's like one of those things that is in one of my Docker container things for Compiler Explorer to like mm-hmm. just hey this is the I expect these tools to be in mm-hmm. my machine. It's like there. It has to be there. Yeah, but yeah, that's it. That's I use that all the time. You can do math in it you can do transforms in it you can do all kinds of crazy stuff in it too so it's sort of like you know if you get into sort of heavy scripting and not not so much just exploring you you can damn near write programs in it if you try geeking out a little bit about it it's just a really nicely written piece of software as well it's uh, oh. uh it's based on something called libjq which is obviously comes i say based on it. it extracted from it is libjq so if you want to do json parsing with like a language that that gives you the kind of descriptive power that the JQ query language has, oh, it, it I didn't compiles know that. to an intermediate bytecode. It's just it's just sweet. It's nicely done. 
it's it's uh it, it's it's cool and it, it's worth saying as well that like while the vast majority of invocations of jq are jq dash capital c for me which says enable the color even though <laughs> uh even though you, i'm about to do something you, that would make you want to turn it off space dot which means select everything hey mm-hmm. i just want everything and then i'm going to pipe it into less capital r less dash capital r which means hey less interpret but don't try and strip out the ANSI color codes that are coming your way mm-hmm. because normally you're going to freak out about that and that means i get like a pageable colored version of the you know syntax highlighted and pretty printed version of whatever i'm piping into jq so you mm-hmm. don't have to mm-hmm. use it to even do anything um like any kind of inter- interrogation at all you just say like hey it's just a really nice pretty printer that has supports color um, mm-hmm. But then, as you say, you can do dot stuff. It's it's got its own piping internally. You can do all sorts of clever clever trickery. It's a great it's a great product. And yeah. So what else have we got on the topic of of watch? Actually, another tool that's similar to that is is this is another one that you're probably going to have to install called ENTR. Uh, ENTR basically oh. uses the file system notification library that is definitely already uh, in in your distro. Mm-hmm. Uh, to let you run a command in response to a file system change. Right. So if you want to scan a directory for changes, and then whenever a file in that directory changes, run make or run uh-huh. JQ or run, you know, whatever your compiler of choices or your linter or your tests or whatever it may be, you can use ENTR to do that. And it's like a really, really easy way to create a very interactive workflow with pretty much any programming language using you know this very simple tool um you can also do it for more like things you shouldn't do like you can use it as a way to you know like oh i'm gonna hit this i'm gonna make this api call or i'm gonna hit this web endpoint whenever this file changes and post the file as because you don't want to actually build the event-based system that you should be building oh right (laughs) you know uh, I've seen it. I've seen it used for that, which you know, maybe in the MacGyver duct tape bailing wire situation is the right thing to do. Um, but you know, it's it's intense, and I think it's it's really sweet spot is um, you know, sort of like developer tools and developer little mini. I mean, I'm used to like npm run watch and things like mm-hmm. that. The various mm-hmm. packages will have, and they're but they're provided by Node.js services. But if you right. want to do it more generally, right. you can use mm-hmm. ENTR. I've I've seen it used on like iNotify stuff that I've kind of hacked together myself for some of my Raspberry Pi development stuff. I had a thing that mm-hmm. watched, but it was a make file target. If mm-hmm. I'd have known there was ENTR to just do most of the horrible heavy lifting of the strange protocol mm-hmm. that you have to use to talk iNotify, then this would have been great. So yeah. ENTR, that's awesome. The last time I really used it in Anger, I was writing a Wireshark plugin. And oh. what I would do is, is I think I was writing it in Lua. And what I would do is whenever I, I was I was hacking away on my Wireshark plugin and whenever I changed the Wireshark plugin, I would have ENTR automatically run a capture that I had through T-Shark and spit out the resulting uh, processed result to get a sense Sweet. of whether or not I was writing my Wireshark pro- plugin That's correctly. That's awesome. So. That's so cunning because, yeah. yeah, I mean, that gives you uh, CICD style right. or local CICD well, not CD, but C- uh, for, for, yeah. for Wireshark, which is like the last thing I would ever expect to actually have <laughs> yeah. that process. That's cool. Yeah. It was a miracle yeah. when they added the thing that allowed you to like reload a Lua plugin in Wireshark without having to quit it and start it again, which has been my go-to way of doing this kind of development. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, making a pop-up happen with, you know, like, oh, I got to this point, printf mm-hmm. style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a few years ago, but that worked out pretty well. But yeah, actually, so that leads us to another... Oh, uh, one which of course is T Shark TCP dump, depending on your 
your flavor there, right? Like TCP dump is usually my go-to for capture. Yep. But normally when I'm like analyzing something, I tend to reach more for Wireshark than T-Shark, but I've definitely seen people with great effect use T-Shark for both capture and analysis. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think this is another thing where once you've seen somebody who is good at doing this kind of thing in action, debugging a problem that you would have scratched your head for days on mm-hmm. and finding it in a few minutes with, with a, a, a package capture. We should capture. probably tell people, I was going to say, we should tell people what Wireshark is because I think yeah, we've let's been do talking that. about it. Yeah. What's Wireshark what's then? A, what's a Wireshark? Yeah, so um, when you communicate over the network, or actually, I mean, it can be, you can use Wireshark on like USB devices and stuff like that too. Bluetooth right? and stuff, yeah. Bluetooth, yeah. So if you're, if you're doing any sort of communication protocol in general, it's probably worth asking the question, can I see this in Wireshark? Why would you want to see it in Wireshark? Well, because Wireshark will show you all of the bytes, everything that you're sending back and forth between computer A and computer B or device A and device B. And allow you to apply filters to them to sort of shrink them down to the stuff that you care about, transform the raw bytes into something that's a little bit more meaningful and readable. I was going to say, the raw bytes is a bit of underselling of Wireshark. Wireshark understands almost every protocol known to mankind. It's kind of like yeah. the C-3PO of, of yes. things. And it yes. will show you what it <laughs> means C-3PO. almost always, even if – yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great analogy of it. Yeah, so all the, all of the and you know, there's the thing I was saying was I was writing earlier was a, a um or a Wireshark plugin like being able to see like at a you know at the various OSI levels or whatever it might be for your particular thing like what are the messages that are going back and forth here? It's an incredibly powerful tool and it adds a level of observability to any time anywhere that you're you know basically connecting two devices or two computers together. Uh, or multiple computers together. So it's it's a, something that I've used, and I know you've used a whole ton to troubleshoot all kinds of problems. And if you're not familiar with it, I highly suggest you give it a try because absolutely. I don't know, like, what's your what's your uh, do you have do you have a cool Wireshark story? Like oh, we never would have found this, but for Wireshark, kind of. A I thing? I do. I don't know that I can talk about it publicly. Uh, unfortunately, it's one of those one more interesting ones, but. Publicly? Um, Maybe? Yeah, we have found some very unusual behaviors in esoteric networking devices before now that have uh, have been traced back to either like hardware issues or, or mm-hmm. similar. But on that subject, actually, and in a similar vein, <clears throat> and I realize we're doing like all of two minutes on each of these tools that we could easily do a whole <laughs> no, episode No, this is like on. a lightning talk. Yeah, I know. That's true. Yeah. Right. But in a similar vein to Wireshark, TCP dump and things like that, System tap and S trace, or S trace is probably mm-hmm. the one people are most familiar with. This this is the uh, snoop on a process, just like you were snooping on a network connection between processes in Wireshark. S trace will say, "Hey, I can run another process, or I can attach to another process and say, what all operating system calls are you doing?' And I want to look at the parameters that come in and the parameters the operating system gives you back, and that can give you an, an awful read on. An awfully deep read, not awful, awful in a sense, but really deep read on what a process is doing. And that's super, super useful when you have, for example, a process that you don't understand why it's in a weird state. Mm-hmm. Um, you can attach mm-hmm. the S trace to it and go, oh, it's it's in a it's waiting on a an event. What is the event? Oh, it's file descriptor 37. What is file descriptor 37? And then you can go and look, and this is something I noted for, for another part of the, of the talk, but in Linux, you can go and look at that process's uh, information in slash proc. 
So mm-hmm. I would say, mm-hmm. why are you blocked? Wait, you're trying to read from 39. What is file descriptor 39? So I will go to proc slash proc slash and then the PID of the process yeah. that I'm And that's just in mounted in the file system slash It's just proc, a magical right? file system. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And within that file system is a bunch of useful information. And then there is one directory per process. You can go into that directory and there's a bunch of files that aren't really files. They're magic that talk to the kernel and then you can like look at for example all of the open file handles all of the open file handles are appear as sim links between a numbered file like 37 in the case of the thing i've just been talking about and it will be a sim link to either the actual file on disk or it will be a sim link to a special magic looking thing that will tell you i'm a socket or i'm a i'm a, mm-hmm. a I'm unix a pipe, pipe. Or, yeah that kind of stuff but it you know maybe you won't know what that is at that point maybe you'll have to give up at that point but it gives you hey i'm blocked on the network at some level and then you might crack out wireshark and go well what are you blocked waiting for mm-hmm. right can i see mm-hmm. anything before this point um but that it works only you know works on your own software if you happen to if if that can give you a hint as to well i think the only places where it could be blocked on reading from a file is here and here okay that's where we're mm-hmm. wedged um but more importantly it works on other people's software so if you're stuck with why on earth does this esoteric binary that what a vendor has given me what on earth is it doing here s trace mm-hmm. is a fine way to find out mm-hmm so what's system tap then? System tap, yeah. So system tap is like um, S trace plus plus. System tap allows you to write small programs that get injected into the kernel and run effectively in a sanitized, safe uh, environment within the kernel on behalf of various other parts of the operating system. So you can kind of trap and filter operating system calls, various kernel events that can happen that are a layer below even what like s trace can see so you know hey um i'm uh, uh i had to uh allocate a new 4k page of ram and so that's an event that happens in the kernel and it's like oh well that's interesting to me i want you to run this bit of code and tell do something when that happens it has a bunch of um useful uh scripts that you can crib from to write from but so the story that ends up with with the punchline and system trace uh sorry system tap found the issue was um a latency spike in a trading system I was working on. And the latency spike we traced back to uh, exactly what I just described. Like that we, we there was a counter that went up, which was like, hey, the number of file system, uh, sorry, the number of page faults has gone up. So if you access an area of memory you haven't accessed before, it's a page fault. The operating system has to decide what to do. Very often it says, oh, that is part of your heap that I just didn't give you the, the actual physical memory for yet. So I'm just going to find a spare 4K page that was free before, swap it in there, and then you can go on your merry way and you can continue with, with your life. And that's great, right? And that, that allows you to say, allocate me 10 gig of RAM. And you don't actually get 10 gig of RAM instantly. The operating system just says, here's a space that's 10 gig wide. Every time mm-hmm. you look at a bit inside of there, I'm going to kind of pop in some 4k pages for you and you don't you can't tell the difference but it takes a little bit longer for, to access it the first time mm-hmm. there's also a major page fault which is like your, what people think of when you think about virtual memory which is like swapping to disk so this is mm-hmm. like hey i ran out of memory and this was a page that i was talking to before I, i've been reading and writing from it maybe it, it contains my executable itself and the operating system says Hey, I'm I'm a bit stuffed stuck for memory right now. I'm gonna write this out to disk, or I'm gonna throw it away, knowing that I can load it back again from disk. And then when you hit that page, it goes, oh, oh, uh, oh no! Uh, right now, I need to find this for you, and it's much longer, obviously, to actually go and get it from disk than it is to mm-hmm. just find a bit of physical memory and say, oh, that's yours now. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Background set. <laughs> we were having issues where we were losing packets. We were dropping packets under a very high load. And um, it. long story turned out to be something that we had presumed was pre-faulting. That is, we'd specifically asked the vendor code to touch every 4K page in the block of RAM we'd mm, given it. Okay. Specifically yep. so that that faulting, that, that um, uh, minor page faulting had happened for every single block. Now, mm-hmm. it turns out there are better ways of doing it than that, but that's how the vendor implemented it. Um, we'd asked for this flag to be set on like a two gig buffer of RAM that we knew was really important to us. Nobody else should touch. Mm-hmm. But unbeknownst to us, that wasn't happening. And so every time the process went to access a new area of this two gig uh, memory the first time, it had to do a minor page fault, which again is really, really, really fast these days. But it requires taking out a lock, a process level lock, because you're about to monkey with the page table and move things around and map memory around. And so it was blocking on that lock, we discovered. We, we, we mm-hmm. System tap was like, no, every time we get here... Um, this is what the call stack looks like. And we were able to look up the call stack and go, oh my gosh, this is the actual kernel area, the kernel like code that's being called. And it's trying to take out this lock and it's sat there. That's where it is when we're spending all of this time. Interesting. I realize we've just taken 10 minutes to talk tell a war story about this, but System Tap no, gave no, us the facility. No, no, but that's what these are for, right? Right, yeah. right. Um, as it happened, the the vendor that we were working with um, uh, open, had open sourced the source, which was amazing. It was really, really valuable to us. And I was able to find the part where uh, you sort of set the flag and said, hey, please, can you fault this stuff in? And they'd written the code, which essentially said, for I in number of pages. Uh, and then literally the C code of parens, char star, the memory address, you know, int temp equals that. Right, so that is read a byte from that memory and put it into a temporary register, a temporary variable, I should say. And then it got now, optimized out. Of course, it got optimized out. The compiler's <laughs> like, "You're not doing anything with that. Go away." And so it got optimized out. And uh, uh, this was one of the f- first times. This was a long, long time ago, but it, the compiler explorer was up and around. It was the first time that I remember sending rather sheepishly uh, uh, a patch to them and a compiler explorer link that showed that their code on. A modern compiler, that obviously was written for like right. GCC four, which didn't do it. Right. Um, got optimized away. So anyway, the happy ending was we were able to fix that and uh, move on with life. But System Tap was what allowed us to find it. System mm-hmm. Tap can also do stuff like how often are you being descheduled? That's another mm-hmm. really good good sweet spot for it. If you're like, hey, I'm running my process and I I'm, I think I'm using the CPU all the time, but every now and then something happens and I and it takes longer. You can mm-hmm. say, well, okay, what's happening on this? Oh, it's a um, sibling CPU is sending you a TLB shoot down, which just sounds like a really complicated sequence of words. And it is, but it's like <laughs> the, one of these weird things that can happen between nodes and system, which is totally unobservable otherwise. right? Hmm. There are some counters you can look at in proc interrupts or whatever. But if you want to know, no, you actually got descheduled because this really important thing inside the kernel had to run. You're like, well, I, but my, my stuff's more important than you. <laughs> anyway, system tap, brilliant. Very difficult to to kind of get on with, unfortunately. It's not as, as cool yeah. as as like the unique and sort world of things, but it is it is a <laughs> useful thing to have in your arsenal. I know that there is Dtrace on other systems, and I think there's a port of Dtrace mm-hmm. to, to Linux, and there's some stuff using the uh, turning it back circle. So the BSD packet filtering API is another kernel compiled sort of safe. Um, system which you can use to specify packet capture filters like hey i want to see packets mm-hmm. that are like this and it gets compiled and run in kernel so that you aren't 
spending mm. time going in and out of kernel space. This is when you when you're doing your uh, you know TCP dump or your yeah. Is that separate from libpcap or is that what libpcap is? Uh, it's separate from lib, so I don't know if libpcap uses it under the hood. I think I'm not actually I'm not 100 percent certain on that, but I know I know that the, there's the Barkley packet capture filter syntax thing is is a thing, and it's slightly it's more restrictive mm. than, for example, what you can type into Wireshark if you've ever seen the right. difference between the two. So yeah, maybe it is the same as what pcap does. Anyway, know. that that's there's an e bpf which is the extended Barkley packet mm. filter that can do more than packet pack filtering. It can do essentially what uh, system tap can do, as far as I understand. But I haven't looked at it for a while, so hmm. I'm sure listeners at home. Listener, our listener is grinding their teeth, kind of going, "No, that's not how it works at all." In which case, I invite you to email us or tweet at us and tell us where we're going wrong with that. But, uh-huh. but yeah, okay, I'm going to get off my little soapbox of the exciting <laughs> systems level tools that exciting. I play with. <laughs> System tap. I mean, it's so. There's a whole other category actually uh, of tools, and this is definitely higher level than System tap, but but maybe equally useful, certainly more commonly useful, which is all the process management stuff. So like PS, PS tree, kill, top, all that stuff that it's like, okay, I have this this machine. It's running all these. Why is my computer so damn slow? That's basically the <laughs> – That's the main – You know, and, and what can I do about it, right? Like you, you, you bring up some – you know, you launch some tool or you bring up some web page or whatever and it's like, ah, everything's super slow now. What's going on? Well, it's like, you know, first things first, you probably run top and see, okay, what is using all the CPU? What is using all the memory? If you're not coming from a Linux environment, this is like, you know, Task Manager or um, what's the Mac one? I forget. Is it also Task Manager? I, I have know. literally no idea. You Something know like that. You know my yeah. position on Mac. Yes, <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> I do. Um, but yeah, you know, it's so if you want to see everything that's running and how much memory it's using and how much CPU it's using, how much virtual memory it's using, uh, what its command line arguments are even, yeah. and the controls to send its signals to kill it or stop it or whatever you might need. Top can do that. There's another variant of this which I sometimes use called HTOP. I don't know if you're an HTOP fan. It's a bit, uh, yeah, it's a bit newfangled for old <laughs> fart like me. It's got colors and bars and CPU <laughs> things. I, I don't yeah. understand it. Uh-huh. It wants uh-huh. to use the F keys. What are the F keys? The F keys are my domain. Leave them alone. <laughs> no, but no, no HTOP is a, is, a, is a fine tool too. Yeah, yeah. But that's that, you know, sort of what the hell is going on with this computer? Why is it so slow? Why uh, why, why is this stuff not working? Um, and then once you have all that, you might want di- to dive a little bit deeper into it. And you can do it one of two ways. You can just run top. And I honestly, half the time I feel like I just run top, I see what's wrong, and then I, and then I jump out of top. And I go use something like PS tree, maybe a PS with a grep or something like that mm-hmm. um, to, to dive deeper. You can do a lot of that stuff in top and also HTOP, right? Like all those things are there to like, I want to see the the tree of processes and their threads. So I can see like, you know, which process has now spawned like a bajillion T threads and what the <laughs> hell are those threads doing? Right, and right. why are you screwing up with my machine and all these threads? Um, and, you know, you can do it all like that. I... Honestly, I I find myself oftentimes in situations where if I'm deploying something not using Docker, which is my preferred way to do this stuff most are of the time. To, are you trying to enrage me here? Right, carry on, yes. yes. But, uh, that's a whole, we're going to do a whole episode Wait, on are that. You, you're teasing me. It's a whole t- an episode on, on the, the appropriate use of Docker. Yeah. Let's if I'm, right. yes, the appropriate use of Docker. Very well put. But if I'm deploying something not using Docker, there's a trade-off there. And one of the trade-offs is that I have to generally do the process management myself. So if I want to turn the damn thing off and be very sure that it's off, 
I need to make sure that all those processes have actually stopped. And that means the whole tree of processes, not just the top level bash script that kicked it all off, right? Yep. And in those scenarios, I generally find myself using PS tree to look at the tree of processes and look at all their PIDs and look at what process groups they're in and combining that with a kill that like kills a whole group of processes or kills a single process. And it's like, I'm going to kill this top level process. Does it correctly kill the ones below it? Well, I'm going to find out by killing it, right? Yeah. Uh, or I'm just going to send another signal to it. That's another great thing about kill is that you don't have to just use it for kill. You can use it for any signal. Um, you can use it for HUP. You can use it for uh, the user signals. Yes. Let's just t- HUP is hang up. It's like the equivalent of disconnecting. It's the signal you used to be given when like the modem was, mm-hmm. was disconnected you know, from the serial connection. Mm-hmm. But we I, now use it to mean, hey, gracefully shut down, please, probably. Or well, like, I'd like you to, or I, whatever you like. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of, it's like the definition of it has gotten, it's almost like another user signal. It's like user three at this point, right? I've seen it used for – the one place where I've seen it used that sort of kind of made philosophical sense to me is check to see if your connections are stale, right? Like like you you hop a process when you – you know, your computer has been woken back up from sleep and who knows if the TCP connections that it previously had are still connected. Um, yep. You can hop a process and be like, hey, and if it's if it's written to handle that signal, it might go interrogate all of its sockets and make sure that they really are connected. You know, send a heartbeat or do some other thing to make sure that yeah, everything yeah. is still good. Um, but yeah, if, you, if you're doing things with signal handling and you want user 2 to mean something, you can use kill to send user 2 to your process. Just make sure you get the command arguments right and don't accidentally <laughs> try to send uh, terminate to both your PID oh, and the mythical v PID. Is a, yes. is a fun one. Right. Seg yeah, v. I like I like confusing people by sending, you know, hey, your thing crashed. And like, oh, yeah, well, how do you... <laughs> if, especially if you've got automated reporting of yes. crashes, which I've done before now. You just kill minus Seg V. <laughs> That'll yeah. take you a while to wear that one. <laughs> how do we die here? <laughs> no All right, enough. Has. I shouldn't be giving people ideas. You're giving people the pra- all your practical jokes. Sig bus. Other funny things, yeah. That's, this is it's too early for the April edition. Oh, maybe it isn't. <laughs> It's too late, probably, for the April Fool's one. Yeah. Oh, man. Next year. Next year. Yeah. Yeah, So there's a ton of stuff you can do with, yeah, PS and top. And we've already talked about, I mean, both of those use both um, commands, uh, operating system um, API calls, Mm -hmm. and they actually look inside slash proc most of the time, as far as I can understand, to to understand uh, what's going on. Mm -hmm. So we should talk about something that's bad. We've been talking about all this good stuff. I want to talk about something that is... I drives me crazy. All right. Well, let's get to that in a second. I want yeah. to just finish off on a couple of things because I'm looking at the hastily scrawled notes that I did while mm, I was mm-hmm. in a meeting before this <laughs> before this recording. And um, you mentioned Orc, which we already said is a full programming language. There mm-hmm. are a couple of other Orc-like, which is oh, yeah. a strange thing. So said mm, is a yeah. great thing for just doing relatively straightforward stream editing that is text replacement or with some minimal state i mean i typically use it just to literally change like one thing in a line of a of files right like, sorry, one line of a file and then perl of course which is a full programming language as everyone's know but like I, perl to me is spelt perl dash pi space dash e space quote and then a small replacement string mm-hmm. and that is the perl in place, rep- run this on a bunch of files, 
in place replace them with the result of having run them through the Perl script what I am about to type in. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that is what I use to like do big refactors when my automated tools give up on me. I will do find dash name. Oh, we didn't talk about find. Oh, no. Oh, man. Yeah. We know we're going to so, miss some. We're going to publish this and someone's going to be like, you didn't talk about this? And we're like, oh, my God. How? Tack. You know, instead of cat and yeah. gzip and gunzip. Yeah, but um, you find a bunch of files and you're like, here are all the CPP files. Here are all the header files. I'm now going to replace this string and I'm going to use Perl dash pi dash e to replace them in place. And then I'm going to rely on git. Haha, that's a whole other great tool. Um, to, to tell me did I do this right or not by like me ch- doing a git diff and seeing what did I change okay mm-hmm. that looks great commit that run my tests obviously first. Mm-hmm. so those are the other things I wanted to talk about in this thing before we move on to the, the well, we've done the good uh, now the, it's time to do the bad the bad and then uh, we have to think of what is what constitutes the ugly to finish the, <laughs> finish you gotta, the boring you gotta have the, the Sergio uh, the, Sergio Leone isn't that who I don't know the, the spaghetti uh, yeah. westerns well yeah so the precursor to this though I think I think is talking a little bit about like bash and shell check and the sort of, you know, the, some of the bash flags, because it is in doing that, that you run into the problem that we're about to talk about. And it drives you. Can I talk about a a good thing in bash? First of all, a bash. And in fact, anything that uses GNU read line, so Mm. GNU read line Mm -hmm. is like the text input, uh, any, almost anything you type into in a Unix command line interactively is using read line. And so that's when you, you know, you can press up and down and go through your history and, you know, control backwards and forwards to move between words and that kind of stuff. And this is the thing that, that I, I tell people that like, what? I didn't know you could do that. And then it's life altering in some cases. And that is alt period, press alt period to toggle through the last command line arguments that you specified. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. This I know it sounds like what would you need that for? But like you do imagine you're doing ls or cat a file, right? You're catting the file to just or lessing the file just to see whether or not this is the file that I want to delete, right? I'm checking the contents of it. Yeah, I can definitely delete this. Mm-hmm. And then you're gonna do rm space and then the same file. And you better be sure you type the same thing <laughs> in again because you're gonna delete the wrong file otherwise. Yeah, because the Hit file is period. some gnarly GUI with a you know uh, some other identifier stuck on the end of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now one way to do this, of course, is to go up arrow and then replace the word. Um, LS. less with RM and right. you can do all these tricks yep. with carrot, carrot, less, carrot, RM or whatever. But I like to look at the thing first, stare, stare it in the eye and say, this is definitely what I meant to do. So all people will do, will bring that second, like the, the command line argument to the previous function mm. into, fun- call, into uh, it, under the carrot. Um, and then you can keep pressing up here and it goes through all the other ones. And so if it's not the last one, but the one before or one before, it's like up arrow, but for just that but just for the particular command. That's neat. And a quick plug for alternate shells, because we, if we're going to talk about bash, mm-hmm. I'm just going to quickly say other shells are available. Mm-hmm. My shell of choice is fish and fish um, uses, um, will do partial matching on whatever you've mm-hmm. partly typed in before you hit all period. Mm-hmm. If you hit all period in an empty space, it'll do exactly like bash. But if you like, like, no, um, I just want to less the, oh, I don't know, it's some log file. I know it's got log written in the middle of it. You just have a log alt period, and then you can keep hitting alt period. It's like searching through any argument you've passed to any command in its history that has the word log in it, mm-hmm. which is just mwah, beautiful. Yeah. Okay, enough ranting about both alt period <laughs> and fish. Yes. You were talking about shell check, which is another useful yeah, utility, but yes. it's useful because you need it. Right. Not because it does anything valuable necessarily. So when you learn all these wonderful commands and you – discover the power that is being able to do all of this stuff it's almost like being a wizard it's exactly like being a wizard we were talking about this the other day it's like (laughs) being a programmer is like a wizard (laughs) Uh, yeah carry on sorry 
Yeah, it's the closest thing you're going to get. I tell my kids that all the time. <laughs> Does it work? Uh, you know, kind of. They're, they're, I think your eldest is more technical minded. They're they're buying it. No, I, I, it's right. going to be it's gonna be interesting <laughs> to see how that shakes out. Actually, okay, right. Um, anyway, wizards. Yeah, wizards using. So bash. once you discover all these magical spells that you can cast in the terminal to give you all these powers. The next thing that you're going to want to do is automate them, right? Because you don't want to have to actually be around to do all this stuff and type it all out by hand. You want to start automating it. And when you do that, you're inevitably going to start writing bash scripts. And then you're going to write bad bash scripts because that's what happens when you start writing bash scripts. And the thing to help you with that is shell check because shell check will tell you everything that your bash scripts are doing wrong and you will gladly thank it for that. Uh, and this combines extremely well with all the other tools that we were just talking about earlier, like watch and ENTR, where you're like, oh, I'm writing this bash script. I'm going to use ENTR to run shell check on it every time I change it so that I can never make a mistake, at least not one that shell check would check, right? It's great. Um, you probably will find conventions that you do, at least I do when it comes to bash, where you want to toggle things. The set command in bash can be used to turn things on and off. And there are things like, hey, if you see an undeclared variable and I try to use it, please fail. Don't just keep going. Uh, also, if you encounter any error, please fail. Don't just keep going. Uh, and the sort of the magical combination or like, um, I guess the other one in this little shibboleth that I always put at the top of my bash scripts is if a if you have a pipe, so you have a series of commands connected say. to a pipe. <laughs> and the first thing we have the same shibboleth. Yes. Set EUO pipe fail. Is that? Pipe fail. That's yeah, the one. Yep. 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 So if, if the first command in a, in a pipe fails, please don't just carry on to the next one. You can just stop right there. Uh, or, or indeed, if an, if any anything in the pipeline mm -hmm, dies, mm -hmm. then consider the whole command to be dead. Exactly. Yeah. And occasionally, you need to turn that off for very small areas of things because you're trying to do stuff. Yep. Uh, and it doesn't. Yeah. But but yes, it's I until this moment I hadn't really registered that I thought C plus plus had the mon monopoly on terrible defaults for things, but <laughs> it turns out Bash is there with, I, with the same feel. If you yeah, think of Bash like as a programming language, it is way in the top 10 of terrible. Why would you do this? Why would you do this? Um, uh, it's but it's a shell. A whole bunch of magical yeah. things, rules like, oh, yeah, if you want to do, you know, dollar at is like the, the all of the arguments. But if you put dollar at in quotes, it quotes each one individually mm -hmm. because that's magically useful, yeah. obviously, because when you want to pass. and But not if you just do dollar one, you know, or right. dollar one or space dollar, dollar star, two, that's different right? again. Which is subtly yeah, different yeah, exactly. than dollar at, right? What? Yeah, exactly. That's one of those I mean, terrible fact, interview questions that you could do. What's the difference <laughs> between dollar at and dollar star? I don't want this job anymore. You guys, <laughs> really? This is what you're going to throw at me? I'm, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Um, oh, man. Yeah. yeah. But no, so so you start, you, you learn the magical spells of Bash. You learn all these wonderful commands. You start automating things. And then, and then you will come to hate what we hate, which is the activate pattern. Because the activate oh pattern my God. breaks. I didn't know where you were going this. with this. It breaks all I, of it. We've talked about this so much, yes. and I was ranting about it like <laughs> earlier this week. And you said, "Well, we should do an episode on that." And now you've sprung it on me, and I haven't had a chance to build up the head of steam and bile. <laughs> no, we should talk about when it's useful and when it's not useful, yeah, and yeah. I should try and be productive and not just right. knee-jerk angry. But yeah. so, what is the activate pattern, Matt? Well, to me, the activate pattern is the management of an environment that you're going to be running commands in by manipulating global variables like the path, like uh, magical variables that mean things to various uh, applications you might be running or programs you might be running, like the Python path or um, 
other things like that. And essentially, you're saying, I would like to have the convenience of pretending that my computer looks at this particular way. And the way in order that I'm going to do that is I'm going to run a shell script, which is either going to mutate my environment it is, or it's going to fire up a new environment with those things preset. And now I can program away to my heart's content and my compiler will be GCC7 and my Python will be Python 3.9 that comes from over here. And everything's wonderful and beautiful. And that's that's great. And it's a powerful way of, of having an environment, you know, without using mm-hmm. something like Docker that looks different from the default one you might get on the computer. So I can see the allure of it and I understand why it came into being. But what it does is it gives you a hybrid promise because parts of the system come from the real system. Parts of the system come from the magical environment variables you're sharing. And it's very hard to get a decent inter... Um, uh, between what's the thing intersubjective intersubjective is the magic word there mm-hmm. experience because you're like oh yeah I'm running this thing and and, and if you are unbeknownst as not like so often we're trying to help out folks who uh, are saying hey I'm t- typing this stuff in and it's not making mm-hmm. any sense if you don't realize that there's some magic that's rerouting all of the normal things that you might do in a shell mm-hmm. to other magical mm-hmm. things then you're really really stuck you know, you type, well, what type which GCC? You have to think like, well, hang on a second. What do you mean? And it's, oh, yeah, it says opt bin some magical thing, some giant thing in your dot file directory magic. And you're like, whoa, 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 where's yeah. that coming yeah. from? Now now I don't know where I am anymore. I don't understand your computer. Your, compu- your operating system has been subverted in a very deep and yep. scary yep. way. And so that's, that's why I don't, that's one of the reasons, though. That's a sort of pragmatic right reason why i'm against it it just makes it difficult to debug because people will forget to say oh yeah i'm using some magical ruby switcher that just magically switches ruby every time i change directory so that's one thing it's also a global variable and who who likes global variables right you know you're setting something which is is yeah have you got some things to say about it before i i kind of explain i mean i think we could both do a whole other podcast on why this is a bad idea but it's like a whole podcast i oh episode <laughs> no, <laughs> no i'm a, a whole other of- like a 12 series one hour each <laughs> breaking down why, why the global pattern is terrible yeah um going i'd, I'd be interested because obviously i i just ranted for a good 10 minutes or so about this <laughs> what what's your feelings have i, have I missed I out mean, anything or have no, i duplicated? I mean, what do you think i can i think i can describe what i don't like about it in a slightly different way but my feelings are basically the same when i first got out of school the, the shop that i worked for was combination windows and solaris all the servers were solaris and all of the desktop machines were windows and that was my first real introduction to the Unix environment. My school had a Solaris lab, and I did some like very basic things there. But it's like it's not until you're getting you know paid to do a job that you're like, oh, I really should learn how this stuff works. And mm-hmm. that's when I first started learning these tools, which I have to say, by the way, investment in the in the Unix tool chain is the one of the best, if not the best, technological investment I've made in my career. It's held up for, throughout my literally my entire career. And it is so useful, and it trans and it, it sort of like moves with me from job to job to job, and it's just one of the very best investments I've made in anything in any technology ever. So strong endorse. But um, when I was first out of school working in Solaris, and I started writing these kinds of automated scripts, right? And my boss at the time was like, "Never rely on the path," and I'm like, "Why? It's there. Like, just why would you not do that?" He's like. It's a global variable. Never rely on the path. If you're calling a command, 
make sure that you have the full path to that command. And if for some reason you can't get the full path to that command, normalize it to a full path and then print it out so that you know what command you were actually running when the when the stupid thing ran, right? To me, the activate pattern is going in the opposite direction of that philosophy. It's right. not only we're going to rely on the path, we're going to rely on these 10 other magic global variables that you have no idea what they are and they could change at any time. And it's just, it's going in the opposite direction. And I very qu quickly learned in those early days why you don't rely on the path because you can make some bad mistakes that way, you know, running the wrong version of things, especially when you start getting into like working, uh, and this was later, obviously, but like I've gotten burned by like, Oh, I wrote this bash script for Mac OS, but with the core utils package installed. So it has the GNU utilities instead of yes. the BSD ones. But the BSD ones in this environment were further up the path than the other ones. So you got a different version of said, which did a totally different thing, and your thing broke, right? Right. And so for me, that activate pattern is just, is just doubling down on a bad idea, which is I'm going to mutate my global environment and then I'm going to rely on that. And especially when you're automating these kinds of things, like there's not a human being there to see that the thing went terribly wrong a lot of the times, right? Like, so you really want to like just be, I don't know, hyper paranoid that you, you know what commands you're calling. Wow. You've, uh, that, that has gone in an even more militant direction away from it than I'm prepared to do. I mean, like as as you know, we our company has open sourced a little magical uh, sort of install install mm -hmm. a light thing that does do some of this stuff, right? It does mm -hmm. say, well, okay, if we put this in the bin, you can have these particular yep. um, things. But so in a way, I feel that I've slightly argued myself against uh, that program. But the, no, the love, idea of that, I love oh, that. There's a project called Aussie. Mm -hmm. um, which we can put in the show notes or we can forget people can probably can't Google it because it's a terrible, terrible name to Google for. <laughs> O-Z-Y. Yeah. But it's, um, it, but it's based off of dot files, isn't it? So it doesn't rely mm -hmm. on path tricks so much. It has one path trick right at the beginning. It just says, okay, mm -hmm. this is where I'm going to find the Aussie binary and this mm -hmm. is how we're going to do things. But other than that, it, um, it lets you install things like JQ and other bits and pieces based off of, well, here's a dot file in this directory. This is the version of JQ you get here. Now, again, that's sort of spooky action at a distance, but it's not a global variable. It's a local variable. And it's mm -hmm. Maybe it's unobvious because it's scoped to the current directory and say like, it, for example, like we, although we haven't used it in Compiler Explorer, we've talked about it because it's super convenient to say, look, we all know that we need the same version of Terraform mm -hmm. in order for us and the other admins to be able to like, Mm -hmm. administrate the site and not forever be playing upgrade tennis with each other. Mm -hmm. um, and so having a .aussie.yaml which says, no, Terraform is version this, mm -hmm. done, means that even if I'm in that directory, I'm just going to get the right version of Terraform. That's kind of a nice thing. But it, yeah. you know, it shares some characteristics. It's got some, you know, the, 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 the siren song of like, well, it's so convenient. I just type Terraform and I get the right version of Terraform. Right. Well, as opposed so that's to doing, a very you know, clear trade-off though, right? Yeah. Like, and I will say, when I use Ozzy and I automate things that use Ozzy, I'm always sure to not rely on Ozzy bin, the bin directory for Ozzy being in the path. I always right. explicitly call, you know, home dot Ozzy slash bin slash JQ slash when I want to call whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Whenever I want to call the command, right? Because I'm saying I want the Ozzy version, not the one that's got installed in the operating system, because I want the version that's in my YAML file. For, for exactly this reason. Aussie supports a command, which I use in some makefile somewhere, which says, hey, here are the name of all of the things that I'm going to use. First of all, make sure that they're downloaded and installed and mm -hmm. then print out all their paths. And then you can just use that as the, or rather it prints out the path that everything is installed in so that you can mm -hmm. ensure and put that 
in front of all of the subsequent commands. So it kind of mm-hmm. it's like your one touch point with the just tell me where things are going to be. Tell me where JQ is yep. going to be. Tell me where um, Terraform or whatever else. Yeah, I feel like we've gone slightly off track from that but by by bringing up Aussie because, <laughs> but <laughs> well, hey. in a it's in a way it's related because a lot of what we use Aussie for is managing these command line tools that we're all talking about, right? Like it's it's an it's another way to sort of manage them and install them, and especially when you're building Bash scripts and other automation on top of them, you want to make sure that you have the versions that you think you have running in exactly. different environments and all that. So it's kind it's, of it, right? We we want to make deal. sure that everybody has the same experience, but that same experience isn't predicated on magical in yeah. activation i think that's the, the other thing it's like this whole yeah. idea of like source activate dot mm-hmm. is a mm-hmm. user specific step you have to do that's now polluted that terminal until you unactivate it in some way and obviously your prompt changes usually and it's kind of like hey yep. look you're in yep. magic world now i'm like i don't like that how about no. it just works always no, like you go into the directory <laughs> and say okay if i i'm just going to run terraform oh it's terraform 0.17 of course it is because i'm in the compiler explorer repository that's what it needs well, yeah. yeah so yeah the, the, I, I suppose then it's not so much against the idea of managing carefully managing the environment that you want to run things in it's this almost like the way that it's achieved it's achieved mm-hmm. through magical state action at a distance right um Environment yeah. variables in particular, like mutating environment variables as a part of an activate process just is like, I kind of want to depend on as few environment variables, like user, okay, home, sure. Locale. That's about it. You know, that's another <laughs> locale, one, actually. That was another one. So, still um, even locale, right? A, a friend TZ. of a previous company would have uh, his locale set to, I can't remember what it was now, but it was like something which was different from anyone else. So it means, means that things with capital letters appeared like in a different space from where I'm used to it. He said, no, I've just always wanted it this way. I'm like, ah, I can't use your computer. But also, again, it's another <laughs> thing that shows up stuff like um, scripts that were like doing LS, pipe, you know, head minus one to find like the first thing would not necessarily work if there was the locale was set differently because LS sorts oh, things based on God. the locale, you know? It's global no. variables are everywhere, man. It's oh, it's not geez. not a good thing. <sighs> well that's ugly. That's it. You found the ugly man. That's I found the ugly. <laughs> the good, oh, the bad, the ugly we right had there. the good, we had the bad, we had the ugly. So let let's do a quick conclusion then. Um so there's a ton of tools that will be already installed on almost any Unix system. Mm-hmm. And obviously we've been talking about Unix the whole time. I'm aware that Windows has something called PowerShell that is conceptually sounds cooler because it's object-based rather than line-based. Having looked at a chunk of PowerShell code, I don't get it yet. I don't, and I'm I'm sure it's much more powerful than I understand. And in fact, I know it is, but don't have any experience. So I can't really help you out there. But like, anyway, Unix, small command line utilities is probably already there. Mm -hmm. We've, we've talked about, PS, we talked about top, we talked about the slash proc file system, we mm-hmm. talked about unique and sort, and particularly mm-hmm. that how you can use it to build a group by pattern. That's true. Uh, oh, column is another one, actually. Column, which we didn't talk oh. about. Column takes inputs um, and then it will find, it will columnize the inputs, assuming that they are separated by uh, spaces, or if you do column dash T, it uses tabs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll turn turn like outputs that were like well the dollar one dollar two dollar three style mm-hmm. spaces into into dollar one and then there's enough white space to make it so that all the dollar twos line up and then all the dollar threes line up so you know it mm-hmm. makes a nice little ta- table in your in your browser uh, browser in your shell so columns good said orc pearl um, cut all sort of do the kind of manipulation that can be useful you talked about 
TCP dump, system tap, uh, S-Trace, Wireshark, uh, Watch we talked about, Grep, obviously. Uh, what else? What Are there any other tools? I just want to, before we give give up on this thing, there's... there's and D-Message? Is, D-Message, oh my golly. All right, yeah, that's a great one to finish with. This D-Message is the fantastic how to uh, uh, out-sysadmin the sysadmin nine times <laughs> out of ten, right? <laughs> so in my experience, when you've reached the point where something really, really odd is happening on a computer and you've probably already pinged the sysadmin team that that help your, administrate your system and say, look, we've something funny is going on. It's taking a lot longer to read files. Nine times out of 10, typing DMES, which dumps the current kernel's ring buffer of like the most recent things that have happened, noteworthy things that have happened, um, you'll find in the last half dozen lines probably the clue if it's something that's really weird. So the things that, that I no- normally find that, 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 that trip this up are <laughs> things like any seg faults and anything on the system will be reported there. So you can say, hey, that's weird. Some kernel process seg faulted just now. Ooh, I bet you it's related. Or you'll see, oh, CPU overheating, uh, throttling it back. You're like, oh, I wonder if there's a problem with the cooling. Or you'll see imminent smart drive failure alert. You know, mm-hmm, all these kind mm-hmm. of things that you hope will be automated away. But DMEZ appears, and then you appear like you know what's going on in the system. But in fact, you don't. You just read the last three lines of DMEZ. So that, that's that's my DMEZ pitch. Uh, I don't know if you want to add to that. You're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> been listening to Two's Compliment, a programming podcast by Ben Rady and Matt Godfold. Find the show transcript and notes at twoscompliment.org. Contact us on Twitter at 2CP, that's at T-W-O-S-C-P. Theme music by Inverse Phase, inversephase.com. <laughs> <laughs>